Hi everyone, Benjamin Smith here, pastor of Revealing Truth Ministries, Wesley Chapel. You know, God is always speaking good things to us and he has a word for you today, we are sure of it. Take some time out to listen and we'll be back as soon as we're done. God bless you. God, I thank you for each and every person here. We never take it for granted this opportunity that we have to come and minister together. I pray that you give me your inner wisdom to speak life into each and every person. I also pray that everybody under the sound of my voice will get something out of the message today they can use. They will be able to use this message and make their lives better. God, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now. They will be able to use what is spoken here today and make their lives better immediately. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. Lift your Bibles up with me, family. Let's say this confession. Confession. Say, this is my Bible. I can be what it says I can be. I can do what it says I can do. I can have what it says I can have. Every verse is God-breathed. And I aim to live up to every word. It is essential to my faith foundation and works to change me from the inside out into the person God has created me to be. That is why I shall never let it go. It is reliable. It is the truth. It is divine. It is the word of God and shall forever be to me my Bible. In Jesus' name, amen. Loved ones, we have been talking about the topic contending for the faith. And in talking about that topic, you all know that we have a certain scripture that's our anchor. That scripture is in Jude chapter 1, verse 3. The King James Version of that reads this way. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that ye should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Easy to read version says, Dear friends, I wanted very much to write to you about the salvation we all share together, but I felt the need to write to you about something else. I want to encourage you to fight hard for the faith that God gave his holy people. God gave this faith once and is good for all time. Contending for the faith or fighting for the faith. Contending for anything depends on contenders ready to put forth an effort to contend for that thing, to fight for it. When we're talking about contenders, we've already been well schooled in that everybody walking around calling themselves a contender is not necessarily, you know, loaded with the same confidence. There are contenders who walk into the battlefield, who walk on the battlefield, walk into the ring expecting to win. There are also those who expect to lose. We have been dedicating some time talking about those contenders who expect to win. We call them real contenders. We continue with that trend this session. We continue talking about those victory-minded folks that say, in God, 
we can do. In God, we can succeed. In God, we can win. And we do that by talking about probably an unlikely person named Balaam. Balaam is an Old Testament prophet whose heart was not quite right. The Bible depicts Balaam as someone who has a tendency to desire worldly possessions as well as, you know, to do some things that's just not right. We're going to use Balaam, and I need you to know that in using Balaam, I am not talking about Balaam to get us all to take on his persona. Mm -hmm. The purpose of using Balaam, once again, is that we want to identify traits or indicators of real contenders, things that real contenders should display. Some people might say, if you take a look at someone who's, you know, just not quite right, they may say, you might not want to use that person as an example. But for me, I'm fine with that approach. I'm fine with that approach for this one reason right here, because in my life, I've learned something. I've learned, family, that many times in this thing we call life, we can learn some good insight from the actions of bad people. Yes, indeed. Jesus said this once to people standing around him. Look at this from the book of Matthew. He said, and I believe it's coming out of the easy to read version, if I'm not mistaken. Matthew 23, verses 1 through 4, easy to read. Can you put that on the screen for me? I'm going to start from my tablet, and we'll pick it up. Starting at verse 1, it says, Then Jesus spoke to the people and to his followers. He said, okay, he said, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees have the authority to tell you what the law of Moses says. So you should obey them, do everything they tell you to do, but, everybody say but, their lives are not good examples for you to follow. They tell you to do things, but they don't do those things themselves. Verse 4, they make strict rules that are hard for people to obey. They try to force others to obey all their rules, but they themselves will not try to follow any of those rules. It's not a matter that the person is necessarily bad. It's a matter of when you're looking at them, what are you gleaning from them? Jesus is saying here that there are some people who what they say is actually good stuff. What they are telling you to do is actually pretty good advice. The only issue is that them rascals ain't doing it themselves. In a nutshell, what Jesus is saying is that when you are looking at somebody, when you are observing what they do, when you are hearing what they say, and you're doing that with the intent of learning on how to apply things to your life, you need to learn to eat the meat and spit out the bone. Learn to take the good stuff out of what they're telling you and not necessarily follow the bad things. That is why I'm not really concerned about using somebody who 
people may say is a little off in the Bible because I can look at that person's life and I can eat the meat and spit out the bone. A pastor named Greg Poe once said this, God can take a crooked stick, draw a straight line, and then throw the crooked stick away. It doesn't matter whether or not our subject is pristine or error free or Mr. or Mrs. Goody Good. It's the goody good we take out of what we see that's important. Thus, we're going to talk about Balaam. Now, to understand that Balaam was a little twisted, you're going to have to read everything. We're not going to read everything. But if you were to go and read about Balaam, you will find out that if you study him, he, he was a little a prophet with his heart wasn't just quite, quite right. But let's get back to it. Balaam, we're going to direct you to the book of Numbers, starting in chapter 22. What happens is during Balaam's lifetime, there is a king of Moab named Balak. Balak looks around, and when Balak looks around, what he does is he observes that there are a large number of Israelites. And in observing there's a large number of Israelites, what happens is he starts to think, you know what, it's a whole bunch of them folks. They're like, you know, the Old Testament baby boomers, whole bunch of them. And if I'm not careful, if I'm not proper in the way I'm kind of trying to strategize here, there are so many of them, they can probably, you know, take over my kingdom. He gets the idea that he is going to solicit Balaam, this prophet, to speak a curse over the children of Israel. What does he do? He sends his subjects to Balaam to deliver a message, basically asking Balaam to come and fulfill his request. And the king does not send his people there empty-handed. He sends them with cash. He sends them with curse payment money. However, God tells him, you know, I don't want you to do this. Balaam sends back a response to the king through his people. Now, he's come sent you here with this stuff to tell me this. I'm going to send you a word back to go and tell him. Numbers 22, verse 18, easy to read. Balaam gave Balak's officials his answer. He said, I must obey the Lord my God. I cannot do anything great or small against his command. Even if King Balak, Balak gives me his beautiful home filled with silver and gold, I will not do anything against the Lord's command. This brings us to our initial trait of a real contender for today. Notice this. A real, that's not the one. A real contender says what God says. A real contender does not say what they say. A real contender does what God says to do. 
A real contender does not do what God tells what they say to do. And everybody say and. and a real contender cannot be bribed into changing his or her position. There is nothing you can offer a real contender to get them to change their mind or move their feet off of what God is telling them to do. A real contender is God's oracle. A real contender is no person's parrot. I don't just repeat what you tell me to say. A real contender is not anyone's puppet. I don't just do what you tell me to do. A real contender says and does what God tells them to say and what God does what God tells them to do and they can't be bribed to do anything else. And a bribe can be a whole variety of stuff. Basically, a bribe is anything they believe they can entice you with to change your mind. It can be a position. It can be something material. It can be, it can be fame. It can be making you feel good about yourself. Whatever it is, they believe they can dangle in front of you as a carrot to get you off of God's plan, they'll do it. But a real contender doesn't fall for that. After some chains of events, though, I want you to realize Balaam does ultimately end up going with them. He goes with them. And at some point in time, this man ends up being face to face with the big man himself, face to face with the king. And when he's face to face with the king, what he does is he tells the king, he says, all right, listen. I know that you've asked me to come here and curse these people. In order to do that, though, what I need is I need for you to set up this layout for a ritual sacrifice. Basically, he's like, OK, I need you to set up a grill. Set up a grill, get me a ram, get me some bulls. You know, let's set this thing up like a barbecue. The king's like, okay, you want to have a barbecue? You want sweet baby rays? I say, no, we don't want a sweet baby rays. We just want, we just want to do a sacrifice. We ain't got to make it special. Don't need to get the gas grill out. Just put some coals under there, whatever you want to do, you know. So he wants to set this up. Listen to what he tells the king, how he instructs the king to do this thing. In Numbers 23, This is the voice translation. Balaam, talking to Balak, talking to king, to the king, says this. This is what I need from you. Build seven altars here and then get seven bulls and seven rams ready to sacrifice. So he's getting this layout and what he does he goes through this ritual, he seeks God, and twice he does this, and both times God tells him, I want you to bless those people, not curse them. And each time he sends out his blessing to God's people, King Balak gets more and more upset. But he's persistent. He's a little pushy because he wants these people gone. He wants these people cursed. There's a lot of them. 
As he pushes, Balaam says, okay, set this up again. Set it up again. Notice, still in chapter 23, once again, Balaam to Balak, you know what to do. We've been through this before. You know what to do. Get the seven altars ready and burn the offerings just as you did before. So Balak did, he built seven altars on each of which were sacrificed a bull and a ram. Now this is the third time doing this. And each time, what does he have? Seven altars, so that means he has a bull and a ram on each one. So that's seven bulls and seven rams. So by the time we get here, we've gone, we're getting ready to go through 21 bulls and 21 rams. Just, it may sound funny to you, but the first thing that caught my eye when I read this, somewhere out there in the herd are some bulls and rams that are pissed. I mean, at some point in time, they're like, really? We're doing a sacrifice again? First, you know, Richard gone, then Billy gone, then Sarah gone. I mean, what y'all got against rams and bulls over here? Think about it. This this come this can ready to be 21. Somewhere out there, there's some livestock shaky. But he got this. Let me get off of that. But he, he he goes through this, and this is getting ready to be the third time. Here's what I want you to realize, though, because this is how chapter 23 ends. And when chapter 23 ends here, Balaam is getting ready to seek God one more time. However, this is where we pick up something interesting. This gets us to the point to where we're getting ready to identify another trait of a real contender. As we shift into chapter 24, the Bible recounts that there is something different with Balaam. Something shifts in him. Notice this. We step into 24. The third, the third sacrificial setup is already there. Seven bulls, seven rams. And it says, verse 1, Meanwhile, it was obvious to Balaam that the Eternal One was quite happy to bless Israel. So he didn't go through the trouble of looking for omens of God's intent. Instead, Balaam contemplated the wilderness stretched out before him, seeing the Israelites camping there in their orderly arrangement by tribes. He was so suddenly over. He was he was suddenly overcome by God's spirit. He recited God's words. Balaam said, this is an oracle of Balaam, be your son, a man whose eyes have been opened, whose ears hear God given words and whose eyes see visions from the God of the mountains. I fall down, I fall down with eyes open. Okay, stay there, right there on that screen. Right here, we observe something that has shifted in Balaam. And what has shifted is what should depict what we should expect to see in a real contender. 
Currently, the way it's laid out, we just have text on the screen. Allow me, though, to highlight some key points for you. Next image. Family, this time around, as he's looking to make this sacrifice, suddenly this boy did not have to make the sacrifice because God's desire became obvious to Balaam. He didn't have to go through the trouble of doing the sacrifice. Why? Because he simply contemplated, meditated, thought about it a little bit. He didn't have to go through the trouble because he let himself be overcome by God's spirit. He didn't have to go through the trouble because he let himself be pulled in by the spirit. And all he did after that was he began to speak God's word. When we're dealing with a real contender, a real contender does not have to go through a bunch of spiritual rituals and ask a lot of different people to get confirmation as to what they heard is God or not. A real contender simply does this. Notice. At some point in time in your walk, if you are a real contender, a real contender be matures beyond the procedural and becomes spirit led. If you are a real contender. You don't have to go through a bunch of steps and hoops. You don't have to ask a whole bunch of people to try to get confirmation. God speaks to you. You hear God's voice. You know doggone well that God is telling you to say something. You know doggone well that God is telling you to do something. If you a real contender, you just step out and say you just step out and do if you're not, what do you do? You go through a series of double checks. But real contenders don't do the double check. God told you to do something. Do you really have to pray about that? Really? Do you really got to pray about it? Does it sound that foreign to your ears? Maybe you don't know what the voice of God sound like. Maybe you should. Spend more time listening so you can get used to how your father sounds. But get this. Do you really got to pray about that? God asked you to do something. He asked you to take a step. Do you really got to talk to your pastor about that? Do you really to get do you need to get his or her confirmation about that? At some point in time, I understand initially, but at some point in time, a real contender matures beyond that. Do you really got to find yourself a scripture to stand on? I thought the whole Bible is in you. Why are you trying to find one? You got 66 books in you all the time. You can stand on all of them. Over 800, 700,000 words in there, phrases, whatever it is. Why you got to pick out one now? You ain't got to pick out one when you decide to buy that house. 
You didn't want to pick out one when you decided to buy that car. You didn't pick out one when you decided to date him. You didn't pick out one when you decided to date her. You didn't pick out one when you decided to break up your marriage. You didn't pick out one then. Now you want to pick out one? Why? Because it scares you. It makes you nervous. What God is asking you to do is step out of your comfort zone. You don't need a scripture to stand on that. You got to move. If you're a real contender, if you are a real contender, at some point in time, you grow and you mature beyond the procedural and you become spirit led. Are you mean to tell me that you got to sow a seed so you can get confirmation? Is that what you want me to believe? I heard somebody say, you got to go in your prayer closet. Do you really have to do that, contender? No. When it comes to a real contender, the moment God speaks, a real contender is ready to follow through. They don't have to go through a bunch of hoops. Twice, Balaam set up, had the king set up. Seven of these things, seven rams, seven bulls. When that boy took the time to meditate on God, when he took the time to become spirit-led, he saved the lives of a lot of animals and just spoke. That's a trait of the real contender. Knowing how to be spirit led. And when he spoke, guess what he did? He blessed them people again. He blessed them again. And when he blessed them again, doggone it, Balak, Balak was now, he was, <laughs> he was really beside himself. He was displeased times 10. Notice. Numbers 24, still in the voice translation, starting in verse 10, the Bible says he, meaning the king, was absolutely furious with Balaam, smacking his hands together with anger. Balak, confronting Balaam, said this, I can't believe this. I brought you all this way and asked you to curse my enemies, but instead you actually blessed them. And you did not just once, mind you, or twice, but three times. Now get out of here. Get out of my sight. Go back to that miserable place you call home. Yeah, sure. I said I greatly honor you, but the eternal has withheld the honor that I had planned for you. Loved ones, while you stare at that screen, I'm going to mention a couple things from you, and you just peruse it, and I want you to kind of pick it out for yourself, though. He says things like, now get out of here. Get out of my face. 
angry words. Go back to that miserable place you call home. Just demeaning. He also says that because you are not doing what I ask you to do, God is disadvantaging you. What an implication. Basically, the king is cussing mad. And above that, the king is also influential. The king is not just a person. The king is influential. Why? Because Balak's the king. He's powerful because he's the king. He's important because he's the king. When he's coming at Balaam this way, one can imagine the internal tension that's within Balaam to relent to this influential pressure. You can imagine that this prophet is like, ooh, maybe I should do what he asked me to do because this king is, he's, he's pretty mad. When you think about that, here is something that I want you to know. Because just because this person is mad, and by the way, mad because you won't do what they ask you to do, it doesn't just stop at them being mad. This king is furious with this man because he's going to do what God told him to do instead of what the king told him to do. This next trait that I'm going to share with you is probably the most worthy one I've ever given you. But it is one that's extremely necessary for you to understand. Because if you are a real contender, you've been here. Notice. A real contender will have moments where he or she experiences the dislike or hatred from those who disagree with their faith stance. But he or she remains steadfast in their conviction of God above anyone or anything else. A real contender will remain steadfast through the heartache. I'm talking about the king is important, so his words have influence. The king is powerful, so his words have punch. The king is powerful, so his words have damaging capability. Words like important, influential, powerful, those kind of descriptors, they can apply to people wherever they are in the world, whoever they are in the world. In your outer circle, they can apply to people like government officials. They can apply to people like strangers who have just wealth and social connections. Those descriptions, though, loved ones, can also apply to people within your inner circle. And when people within your inner circle lash out at you because of your stance concerning God, that hurts. Why does it hurt? Because they're in your inner circle. See, a person 
that can lash out at you and hurt you, that person can be your mom. Why? Because she's in your inner circle. She's emotionally close to your heart. So how do you see her as important, as powerful, as influential? And when she lashes out at you because of your faith stance, guess what? It hurts. Those descriptors can apply to your father because he's in that inner circle. He's close to your heart. And if he lashes out, if he, if he takes that, that emotional punch at you, it hurts. Sometimes, loved ones, it's not the physicality of the attack, but it's the emotional onslaught that leaves a contender with scars. That person on your inner circle can be your friend, your best friend. It can be your child. Those people get labeled, whether you know it or not, as with those descriptors of important, of influential, of powerful. Why? Because they're in close. And when they're in close to your heart, they're in striking distance. And when they're in striking distance, if their words are not quite right, they can injure you. They can cause you hurt. They can cause you pain. As a matter of fact, they might even be motivating enough to get you to step off of your faith. Because they want you to do what they want you to do. And that positioning in your life, that relational closeness gives them power, gives them influence. It makes them important. That person can be your spouse. Why? They're in close. It can be your pastor. Yeah, everything, everything he or she, Mr. or Ms. Pastor, has ever told everybody has been good. There are times when, guess what? As humans, they miss it. But it's not the words, family. It's the delivery. Notice what the king does. Get out of my face. Go back to that miserable place you came from. Get out of here. When the delivery from someone who's close comes out scathing, it can leave a contender with scars. And every real contender has been in that position where someone, not just on the outside, but someone that's on the inner circle, close, a family member, a boss, a best friend, a pastor, somebody who you let in said something that was hurting and they did it because you were having a discussion concerning your faith and they did not like your faith stance. So they wanted to express their position. And in expressing their position of why you should do what they want you to do instead of doing what God told you to do, they put that emotional pressure right on your heart. But when you are a real contender, you stay steadfast with God even through the heartache. A real contender sticks with God even through the pain of going against those they hold dear. This king is furious. 
and he expresses words to Balaam that absolutely positively leave no question about his disgust. Disgust. How does Balaam reply? Because in Balaam's reply, we're going to end up getting to our final real contender trait for the day. Notice this. Balaam says to Balak, remember, now he's going he's gonna to go ahead and give him a flashback. The first time that you sent messengers to me, well, remember the first time that you sent messengers to me? Even then, I told them, I don't care how much silver and gold you have or what all you give to me. I cannot alter what God would have me say. And that's the kind of thing that you have when you're having those conversations with your loved ones. They know you a believer. They know your stance about God. Hey, get this. They know you dedicate time to God. Why they want to come invite you to go out to eat when they know you, you said you was going to do something for God? We've all been there. They had all this time during the week to ask you to do something. And they, it sounds funny, but you, you laugh because it's true. They purposefully, they purposefully set up a scenario where they would ask you to put aside the time that you had dedicated to God to see if whether or not their request would be more important to you than your stance with your God. And you remind them. Now, I told you before. That's how you started. I told you before. And you, you know, you put the name, now Mama, now Jessica, whoever it is. Now, I told y'all before. Some of you have had that discussion with, and I'm not trying to say, 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 say Pastor, is not, not trying to trying get anyone, anyone fired. fired. All right, now let me tell you, some of you, before y'all come knocking on my door, asking me, hey, Pastor, I need some money because you got me fired. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> but some of you, and you understand how I'm going to say this, some of you have had those discussions, too, with, like, your boss. You know, some, like, like, like church on Sunday, for example. There are times when, listen, you are committed to your role. You're committed to your job. It's not that, but there are certain things that you hold sacred. And your time with God are one of those. Yeah, of course, sometimes you got to do it for, for month-end clothes or for special occasions. You all understand that you have to sometimes, okay, listen, I'm not going to be here this week because something has come up. You get that. Life happens. We get that. But all of a sudden, they put you on schedule every Sunday. And you got to have that conversation. And they know because they did it before. And when you say, can I talk to you, they be like, God. Can I talk to you for a minute? They'd be like, oh, man. They know what it is. They already know what it is. And so you bring them in, and you have to explain. And what do you say? Remember the first time. 
Oh, remember the last time when you sent this word to me that I had to work on Sunday. Even then, I told you that from time to time, I'm good with it. But don't you go put me on the schedule every Sunday. If you're going to put me on the schedule, it better be between this time and this time. And for the most part, I like my Sundays with my family and the sick. You get what I'm saying. This is what he says to me. He said, remember the first time you sent these people to me? Even then, I told them, I don't care how much silver and gold you have or what you're going to give me, everything. I can't do anything but what God tell me to do or say. Whatever the eternal puts into my mouth is what will come out, whether good or, good or evil words. Yes, I'm heading home, but before I go, I will tell you what those people will do to your nation when your time is up. Now, hold it right there. Let me show you something. Just because you are a contender, you are an oracle of God, it doesn't necessarily mean that everything that comes out of your mouth is to people's liking. Right. Or get this, even what you might want to say. Notice he says, I'm only going to say what God tells me to say, whether it's good or evil words, meaning whether it's words you like or words you don't like. Parenting 101. Your father is going to say the words that need to be said. Whether they be good or whether they be evil to you. Just because you are an oracle of God doesn't mean that all of your words come out with flattery to people. That's what he's saying, telling him. I can go through everything you want me to go through, but I'm only going to say what God tells me to say, whether you like what you hear or whether you don't like what you hear, whether it's really what I really would want to say it to you if I were able to say whatever I wanted or, or whether it's I really don't want to tell you this, but. I want you, though, for now to focus in on verse 14. That first sentence. Read that with me. Ready, go. So, yes, I'm heading home. Real contender, check this out. Loved ones, a real contender knows when to peace out from certain people. A real contender knows when to throw deuces up. A real contender knows when to put some space between me and you. A real contender knows when, you know what, we've engaged enough to where I have finally concluded that this thing that we're trying to deal with here Deuces. I'm out. A real contender knows when to throw deuces up and separate from certain unhealthy relationships, in particular relationships that pull them away from the faith. 
he says, fine. You didn't hurt my feelings. You didn't talk about me. You didn't told me to get out of here. You know what? I'm going to take your advice. Peace. I'm going home. A real contender knows when to peace out. In the variety of what we've discussed, these are just a few elements of real contenders that we have extracted from the life account of Balaam. That that crooked stick that I've hopefully taken and drawn a straight line with. I really hope that these real contender attributes are ones that as you contender continue to mull around that question, you know what the question is, the question is whether or not you are a real contender, that as you continue to stack up these real contender indicators or traits that you are deciding within yourself that a real one is what I want to be. It is my sincere hope that you are taking this self-examination seriously and you are doing the necessary steps and making the necessary adjustments to get your real contender game up to where it should be. In doing so, realize that it's beneficial, not just beneficial to you, but it is beneficial to the progression and the influence of the gospel. You being a real contender, you making the determination that you're going to engage in the fight, that you're going to protect the integrity of God's word, that you are going to fight for what Christ has left us as a gift, that is you contending for the faith. And the gospel benefits when you make that kind of contention that that's what you're going to do. Fighting for the faith takes people who are real contenders. I don't know if I can say it enough, but the hope is that you and I are such people. Amen. Amen. Loved ones, let's pray. God, I thank you that each and every person here have a desire to live a life where they are closer and closer and closer to you. The desire is not just for ourselves but it's for the people that we come in contact with. Knowing that as we become more and more like you, that we will be a better example for people to see in the earth. And in seeing the true character of God, they will be drawn to you as well. As we examine our lives and we look forward to maturing into real contenders. We understand from time to time, God, we may fall short, 
but we don't get so caught up in being perfect as we do in getting caught up of each time putting forth perfect effort to be more like you. You're always going to be there for us to help us get it right. And that's one of the things that we love about you. I thank you that everybody understands that contending for the faith is a worthwhile, wow effort. And we all raise our hand as volunteers to do our part to fight that good fight of faith. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, that's what God had to say to us today. We pray that it blessed you. As always, we pray that the word of God blesses you, not just years from now or months from now or weeks from now, not even days from now, but we pray that you got something out of the message today that would change your life immediately. God bless you and look forward to chatting with you next time.